2: This show is brought to you by Prize Picks. PrizePix Picks is a revolutionary new daily fantasy game whereby you pick two, three, or four players to go over or under their fantasy point projections, and if you're correct, you win. Pick two or more players from the same sport or league or go cross leagues for your parlay. Use the promo code FIVE, that's F-I-V-E, FIVE, and receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. But first, sign up at prizepicks.com to start winning today. Sports betting season is in full force. You need a sportsbook with integrity and longevity like BetUS. You may already know this, but BetUS has been pioneers in the sportsbook industry for almost three decades, thriving and paying their loyal customer base. That is BetUS.com. They have loads of bonuses. Join now or call 800 69 betus that is 800-MY-BET-US, and you will receive a 125% sign-up bonus by using the bonus code 5. That's the word 5, F-I-V-E. They also have re-up and referral bonuses as well. Follow my lead and open an account with Bet US. You bet, you win, you get paid. Bet-U-S. This show is brought to you by Lewis Peters State Farm, agency representing the number one auto and home insurer in the United States. For more than 60 years, Combined experience in the insurance industry. Local agents that understand South Florida's unique market, you have access to them 24 7. Walk in, call in, click in through lewispeters.com. You can find them online on social media at sfagentpeters or you can call at 305 275 5585. Remember, lewispeters.com.
1: Welcome to Three Yards per
3: Carry, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon.
2: And we're on, and welcome to another edition of Three Yards per Carry. I'm afraid alright. I got Simon Clancy is here with me. Chris Kaufman will join me in the second half of the show. Hello, Simon. Hello, Alf. Yeah, this is like our new bit. Uh, this, our new bit is that I just I very dryly say hello, and then you you respond with hello, you know. That's our new bit. As awesome. always, we're brought to you by Manscaped. Use the promo code Five RSN for twenty percent off your entire order. Well, the Dolphins finish up their season here, uh, Simon, and nobody seems to care except me. Oh, and the and the Patriots, the Patriots will care. Like the Patriots can call their shot; they can fix their their first round matchup by beating the Miami Dolphins because if they lose they gotta to travel to Buffalo and you know I, I never want to say that I'm certain of a result but I'm certain of a result the Buffalo Bills would smash them if they play them in the first round unless you disagree do you disagree
4: I don't even know smash them I think the Bills will probably win but um we I mean you just don't know what variable is going to happen You know, we saw what happened with the wind game a few weeks ago. You know, the Patriots are a good team. They're not in the position they are for no reason. So um, I would predict a Buffalo win, but I certainly wouldn't think it would be a smashing.
2: Which kind of settles it that I believe Belichick is going to come, come in here all guns a blazing, trying to win this game because the alternative is losing four out of the last five to Brian Flores which I guess is a a feather in Brian Flores' cap. But do you agree with me that Brian Flores is kind of on the hook for this game on Sunday? Because if he wins this game, he could at least point to two consecutive winning seasons. He could point to a 4-2 record in the AFC East. But if he loses, this season would go from a disappointment to a galactic disappointment. Do you agree with me?
4: Um, yeah, I suppose so. I mean, I I don't really care about a winning season if you miss the playoffs, quite frankly. Mm
1: -hmm.
4: Um, And ultimately, he should be judged on the fact that he hasn't made the playoffs for the last two years. So that would be the, the biggest issue for me. I mean, yep, winning seasons, fine, four and two in the division, great. But, you know, you also have to look at those two games, you know, you play two games against the stinking Jets. Two games against Buffalo, where we stunk up the joint in both, uh, and we look no closer to cracking the Buffalo Bills code than we did, you know, three years ago. Deep is so, improved
2: uh, a little bit. Offense, not at all uh, against the Bills, I would say.
4: Yeah, I mean the offense is appalling.
2: Yes. So, yeah, you know, but luckily like, is look, such a good word for them.
4: Yeah, but it's not built to play in those conditions. You're not built to go to Tennessee. You're not built to go to New England. You're not built to go to cold New York. You're not built to go to Buffalo. That's just not what the offense is. You know, you've got a, a, you know, a a quarterback who's not built to go and play in those conditions. Um, You don't have an offensive line that can be nasty. You don't have a running game that's nasty. So you're not, you know, you don't have uh, nasty wide receivers who can, you know, knock people over and you know those sorts of things. You don't have that. You don't have big bruising tight ends. That's that's just not what the Dolphins are. They're not. They're a finesse, warm weather team.
2: Absolutely. Well, what do you make of of uh, our quarterback evidently uh, going to take a trip to Siberia and the North Pole to try to acclimate himself to throwing a cold a cold football. Like I never understood this stuff. Like now after the fact is when you're going to have to you're going to try to acclimate yourself by going to Maryland and throwing a football around with your brother. Like uh I don't get this type of stuff. It's a little bit too cute and kind of dumb in my opinion. I don't know what you made out of it. Yeah,
4: I mean, I, just, uh, I would just stick around in Florida and learn how to throw a football. I mean, yeah, not learn how to throw a football, that's disparaging. Learn how to become a better quarterback. You know, he took a step from year one to year two, but he's got to take a giant step from year two to year three. Absolutely. Um, he's got to work incredibly hard to become the quarterback that you know we hope he might be, let alone the one we thought he could be um so whether that's going to Maryland whether that's going to Siberia whether that's going to Timbuktu who knows but um you know he has got a lot of work to do
2: absolutely especially on, on his mechanics and like he kind of acknowledged it this week and I don't know if you saw the pressers but uh it was the most depressing s- set of pressers uh this team has ever pulled off the final this this past week and one in particular caught my eye, and that's from our esteemed offensive line coach. Did you see it, uh, Simon? Did you see that pressure?
4: I, I mean, I, I would rather um, take uh, a knife and start attacking my testicles um, than watch the press conferences of the uh, assistant coaches. I did see some of the quotes, um, and they all made me want to take a knife to my testicles. Quite frankly, um, you know, we're going to discuss this at the end of the season. We're going to, we're going to, you know, look back and, I mean, what? Sorry, what? They're not self-evaluating as they go. They're not evaluating in the moment. I mean, what? I don't understand that. I mean, I don't believe it. Um, And if that is true, then that is quite astonishing. But um, I don't believe that they're not evaluating prospects as they go. So, um, you know, and I don't expect, to be be completely fair to them, I don't expect them to come out and say, Danny Crossman was about the only one who was honest in what he had to say. Mm. Um, I don't expect, I don't think I expect coaches to come out and say this guy stinks he can't be you know what there were some pointed questions about whether or not austin jackson could be an nfl starting guard and the the offensive line coach said we're gonna have to evaluate that at the end of the season and that's fair because you know you don't necessarily want to throw guys under the bus Mm -hmm. um but christ some of these guys should be thrown under a bus do you know what i mean and not just literally not just figuratively either um although quite frankly they probably wouldn't be able to block the bus anyway so it's fine um but yeah i don't know i just i don't really pay any heed to it because it's all double speak it's all like you know i don't believe a word they say really because you know to say a, the
2: yeah but here's the thing simon and sorry to interrupt you it's it's what? a feature it's a feature of this team because i you know i watch other other pressers from other teams okay and usually what i do is that i watch other teams get out more dude excuse
4: me you need to get out more <laughs>
2: It's football season, okay. When it's football season, I'm all in. All right. So I listen to some of these pressures from other teams. They're kind of honest, except the Patriots. Uh, Bill Belichick just goes up there and mumbles for half an hour, and I can't believe that that meet. You know what? Winning is such a such a great elixir, because Bill Belichick, what he does to that media is is embarrassing. All right. Like he absolutely says absolutely nothing, then lies for he lies for about ten minutes. Then says nothing for ten minutes, and then double speaks for ten minutes, and then walks off the stage. Okay. I
4: genuinely don't know how the Patriots press manage to do what they do. I just don't know how they can just do it day after day, just suck it up and not have him do it. I would just want to. I mean, I don't even know what I'd want to do. I, I just don't think I'd. Have, I just don't think I'd go. <laughs> I'd have to say to him, "Look, do you enjoy this? Do you really <laughs> enjoy this? You know, because this is no fun for anybody."
2: Yeah, it really. is. I mean.
4: Like I don't know who it was that said, but that woman that went and asked him the question about his New Year's resolution has to be one of the bravest people I've ever seen in my life. Like, (laughs) yes. But I wonder whether or not I wonder whether or not we think it's brave because we know what Belichick is, or whether or not everybody else is just so scared of him because they they've just allowed him to become this monolith who can just you know. Speak to reporters with utter disdain. It just makes no sense. I would just literally, if I was one of those beat reporters, I would literally say to him, "Bill, like I know you don't like us, but you know, is there is this really necessary? Is it really necessary day after day to come here and just dribble out a load of nonsense, not really talk to us, be passive aggressive?" You know,
2: it's just bullshit. I yeah, really... the thing is that it's not like it's because people think, oh, Bill Parcells did this for ages. No, he did not. Okay, I remember Bill Parcells very, very clearly. He was combative, like, and he was combative with the New York media. The New York media used to ask him very pointed, very strong questions. They would ask him, this guy's not playing well. Why is he playing? Uh, you you, you went for it on fourth down at this in this situation. Why did you do that? And he would get combative. And he would actually defend his position. That's a big difference. Uh, Bill Belichick is actually wasting everybody's time. And I actually enjoyed that question about the New Year's resolution. Like, if I were a beat writer, first of all, I'd get kicked out. Like after two or three questions, because all my you. questions would be like, uh, uh, "Bill, do you enjoy Italian sausage with uh, with pasta, or do you like it on a bun with, uh, with with peppers? You know, can you enlighten us on on your grilling?" You know, expertise. I, I wouldn't ask stupid questions like that because that's all he's really going to answer. He's not going to tell you about the right guard or the right tackle. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. He's not going to tell you any of those things. But what Lemile Jumpier did in this, that was disgusting. You're responsible for a unit that has been absolutely disgusting. It has been terrible all season long. And then you're just going to double speak and just broadbeat everybody about their questions. No. Uh, I can't wait for the day he's fired, which should be Monday. Okay. Yeah. But who the hell hires this guy is, 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 is what I'm asking. You know? I've yeah, said I mean,
4: after, after this all along. This is the biggest red flag to me about Brian Flores is the coaching assistant coaching decisions. Like who is making those decisions uh, and why, why is he bringing these, these guys in uh, clearly, you know, not ready for this or not good enough for this. Mm-hmm. Um you know, what I'd love to see in the off season is, you know, a real, like I thought the Jim Caldwell situation would actually begin to turn things around a little bit. And, you know, but clearly not, you know, obviously there was an issue with Caldwell. We don't know what it was. I know there wasn't, you know, an illness, but, you know, he's interviewing for the Jacksonville Jaguars head coaching position. So, you know, something happened there with Jim Caldwell. And I know there's a few of the beat guys are like been sniffing around and they just can't get a lead on what happened to the story, mm-hmm. but you'd like to know more about why we are hiring people like the current offensive line coach and not you know because it's such a problem you know we've heard some names being whispered around of potential um, targets in free agency and not only do I not like them but I also just think who's going to coach them anyway you know unless you get you know what is wrong with you know, an Adam Sinovich or a Bill Callahan or an Andy Heck or, you know, these guys, some of the best offensive, like what what you know, why is he not making a play to Dante Scarnecchia to say, you know what, just come out of retirement for for 18 months and just coach these guys and then hand over to a Lamel Jean Pierre. Do you know what I mean? But at this stage, I just don't I don't get it. I don't I don't know where this unit goes. But I can't believe that anybody would sit there at the end of the season and say, Oh yeah, they were okay. I think we're doing a really good job coaching. We're doing because they're not.
2: The guys no, are terrible. it's obvious. It's obvious that they know that they're terrible. Uh, I hope so. You know, well, it's you know they kind of admitted it uh, on the running back side because on the running back side, think about what they did late in the season. They went on and got two guys off the street to be RB one and RB two. Okay, so they essentially just gave up on Gaskin and, and and Ahmed at the end of the season and Malcolm Brown because Malcolm Brown, if you noticed, um, hasn't gotten off of IR for like five weeks for what was a, not such a major injury but they have to know and I think they do know now it's what's going to be interesting is how they're going to fix these things because you know it's not enough to just buy players they need coaching you know Uh, they need coaching they need an overhaul of that entire offense and I've said this before is Brian Flores the type to segment the team the way some other very very good coaches have segmented the team like Mike Tomlin like Sean Payton. Sean Payton gives Dennis Allen complete latitude on the defensive side of the ball. Mike Tomlin is n- normally around the off uh, around the defensive side of the ball and lets his offensive coordinators this year, Matt Canada, in previous years. He had, you know, he also did have pretty strong personalities as offensive coordinators, run the offense. A lot of coaches run their teams that way. Brian Flores is just gonna have to be the latest. And if that's a source of embarrassment for his ego. It should. First of all, it shouldn't be because great coaches like Sean Payton actually run their team that way. Bruce Arians runs his team that way. So if it's going to be an embarrassment for his ego, then maybe he has to go as well. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but would you do something like that? Tell him, Brian, you got to segment this team. We got to get what is essentially an offensive head coach. And you're still head coach. You still call the timeouts. You still do the challenges but your expertise is on defense and we're getting a guy to overhaul the offense and we're basically handing him the reins. Would you do something like that?
4: Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's going to be an interesting conversation in the off between Stephen Ross and Brian Flores about exactly where this team is going, exactly what the blueprint is for it moving forward. And that involves Chris Greer as well, but also the, the, the pigeon in the rafters, which is an absolutely terrible analogy um, is Jim Harbaugh. You know, yeah. if the Bruce Melbourne report is true that Jim Harbour may want out of Michigan, well, you know, we all know Stephen Ross's connections and financial philanthropy with regards to Michigan University. Uh, you know, I've been to, to Ann Arbor, and, you know, the training facility is named after Stephen Ross. You know, it's the uh, the big building just down from the big house. And, um, you know, it's... he it, People talk about the Raiders. Well, you know, I can't believe that if Jim Harwell appears on the market that Steve Ross is just going to sit silently, Um, you know, so that'll be an interesting decision. But also I think he's got to sit down with smart people, whether that's Tom Garfinkel or others inside the organization and just say, look, you know, Danny Crossman, you know, we went from, we went from arguably the best special teams coach and one of the best special teams units in the NFL to, to a pretty average special teams unit, quite frankly, you know, the, the, the kicker can't kick anymore. The the punter's been mediocre. The return guy we traded to Chicago, and the return units haven't been all that. Matt Collins is great. Boyer's done a decent job. Godsey, you probably would want to move on from Studsville's a good running back running backs coach, but you know at what point does it now become awkward because of this whole kind of co offensive coordinator thing? Gerald Alexander is the star. Charles Burks has done a good job. So Alexander, the DBs coach but the cornerbacks coach. Um, and actually the defensive coach is generally Austin Clark on the defensive line. has done a good mm-hmm. job because that defensive line is a good unit. And Anthony Campanile should be, you know, moving Jerome Baker from inside to outside. Landon Roberts has had an excellent year. Duke Riley played well when he had to fill in, you know, that he, he should be, you know, rewarded for that or at least. Yeah. Know, they got kept...
2: guys ready to play uh, the, like sure. on the defensive side of the ball. Like you can't have too many complaints,
4: but I think it's, you know, it's the, it's the it's when you turn to the you know Jean-Pierre's and Sean Flattie's on the offensive line it's the you know Charlie Fry the quarterback's coach it's Josh Grizzard the wide receivers coach it's Mike Judge at tight end you know it's it's those guys where you just think you know I don't I don't see it you know you, you kind of feel like you're going to need to move on from these guys and you know, whether that's moving up some of the quality control guys or, you know, but I, to me, it's getting the, you know, it's getting the right coaches in place on that offensive line, getting the right quarterback coach and the right, you know, whether that's an Alex Van Pelt or, you know, somebody like that, whether that's the guy that used to be in, in Philadelphia, uh, who people raved about and became an offensive coordinator in Minnesota, whose name completely escapes me, but it's his first name is John and, um, You know, but they they they've got to sort that, and they've got. But the other thing they've got to do is sort out coaches who are going to coach for more than one season. You've got to get into a rhythm with -hmm. these guys. Got to allow. You've got to allow the coaching detail to sink in and not have to change year after year after year after year. You know, if we change offensive coordinator again, this will be the what fourth offensive coordinator in four years under Brian Flores.
2: Uh, Let me see. Uh, He started with O'Shea the first year. They canned him. Then it was Chan Gailey. No, nah, it'll be the third one. Although, you know, we do have no, three we're... right now. Don't,
4: don't we? Yeah, but if, they, if they sack if they sack Godsey they'll, and bring in somebody else, that'll be four offensive coordinators in four years, won't it? Yes, it will be. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, and that isn't acceptable. That's not, you can't expect anybody to learn like that.
2: No, no, you cannot. You know, yeah, they need, uh, like I said, they need to segment this team and they need to go get like a, a guy with a name. And with some, I don't know, uh, some gravitas on the offensive on on one side of the football team. You know, you essentially need an offensive head coach is what you need. And yeah, Brian Flores is still going to have the, you know, he has the whistle. He gets to call the practices. You know, he gets to use the challenges. He gets to call the timeouts, which is probably a mistake. You know, we should probably have somebody in charge of that. Okay, even the best ones. Okay, even Andy Reid. Andy Reid is a fabulous head coach. He's he's a complete idiot sometimes with with clock management. Okay, so I'm pretty I'm pretty sure he has somebody help him with that. But yeah, he's going to have to do that. And they're going to need somebody with gravitas on the offensive side of the ball. You know, I don't I don't know who's out there. Like is Joe Brady, that guy Joe Brady's the hot name, right? But is Joe Brady is Joe Brady the type of guy that you just say, hey, here's the offensive side of the football build a staff, build an offense.
4: But why did it go wrong for Joe Brady in Carolina? Uh it was oh. uh, it,
2: it seems like it was a severe personality clash with with Matt Rule. But that's which not is, great, though, is it? Which is understandable because I don't know if you've listened to Matt Rule. Like uh, that guy, that guy's on the way out pretty quick too. I don't know if that's a good thing or not, you know. Uh you know, what was that about? What was Joe Brady's You know, blow up with Matt Rule about too, because he can't be at fault. Yeah. You know, sure. But is he, is he, is he good enough? Is he does he have the gravitas to hand one half of a football team, well, one third of a football team over to and say, This is yours, the offense is yours. I
4: don't think he's proved anything
2: Mm -hmm. at the NFL level. Do
4: you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that's the concern, I think.
2: So who's out there? Who is out there? I mean, Opposedly, look, Lane Kiffin lives down here, and he wants to get out of Ole Miss. But like I've told a lot of people in the only Finns chat, Ole Miss money is much more than much more money than you know Finns offensive coordinator money. So, is Lane Kiffin that type of guy where you hand the I, offensive side of the ball to?
4: I don't think Lane Kiffin wants to be an offensive coordinator. I think he wants to be a. I think he wants to be a head coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's done enough. Of, you know, he's done more than enough at Old Miss to, you know, to to carry on, to carry on doing that. I think. And
2: at FAU, at FAU, he was, he was yeah, the coach at FAU. So absolutely. yeah. So who's out there? Uh, who do who is out there with the gravitas to hand half of the football team over to? Well, yeah. I mean, this is the <laughs> like I can't think of any, right? I mean, I can't know off the top of my head, but you know, we well, well the program. obvious answer is Jim Caldwell, right? Now nah, here's mm-hmm. the thing. He's interviewing with for Jackson for the Jacksonville head coach job. Yeah, sure. So I guess he's he's over his health issue.
4: I, I assume so. I assume so.
2: <laughs> like nobody's ever said what happened there. Okay, he does not get the Jaguars job. Isn't that the most obvious phone call you had a place?
4: Yeah.
2: Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's a mystery with this team, right? Like we're we're left in limbo.
4: You know, I mean, look, Mike Kafka, thinking about Mike Kafka is one of those guys, you know, at some point, you know, as the passing game coordinator of the of the Chiefs, at some point, he's either got a shit or got off the pot. Do you know what I mean? I mean, mm. this is the guy. Um, John DiFilippo was the guy that I mentioned earlier on, who's um, with the Bears now. Um, and I mentioned his name earlier on, actually, Adam Stenovich with the Packers, who's the offensive line coach, but also the run game coordinator. And, you know, you look at that two headed running monster that the Packers have. You know that's a pretty. You know he'd be an interesting guy. You know he might end up at he might end up at um, Jacksonville if Nathaniel Hackett gets a job there as the offensive coordinator. But you know what about what about Dan Mullen?
2: That's not terrible. You, you know, know, What that, about that's not terrible. Out of you know, mm-hmm. Rob yeah. Chudzinski is also out there. You know. Yeah. At- do, do you do you approach Ken Dorsey? Ken Dorsey right now is is interviewing for essentially every single offensive coordinator job anywhere. You know, do you approach a Ken Dorsey? Maybe it's it's time for Ken Dorsey to get out from under Brian Dable. You know, yeah. And you you will be weakening a, a competitor. Sure. You know. Now, do
4: you go to a do you go to a you know do you go down the college route because you know there's a lot of college coaches out there that you know, who are no you know, Jay Norvell at Nevada, for example, mm-hmm. be an interesting name. Um yeah. didn't he go to has he gone to Colorado State, maybe? If he hasn't, then then, you know, there's an interesting name. You know, there's there are names out there. You know, interesting potential offensive call. you know, you go and look at see I think it's always interesting when big time NFL coaches go to college. Look at Bill O'Brien and you know what's Bill O'Brien gonna do when he you know, does he want an NFL head coaching job? Does he want to stay at yeah. Alabama? Or does he want a, Does he want an NFL? You know, because Bill O'Brien is offensive coordinator. Is a- yeah?
2: What's funny is that Alabama has the best head ch- has the best coaching staff in, in all of football, and they're in college. <laughs> yeah, exactly. like Doug Marone is. Does Doug Marone uh, do anything for you?
4: Mm, less than Bill O'Brien.
2: Okay. You know, although his background is offensive line, like I don't know, uh, like there's yeah, I mean, an appeal there. Yeah, know?
4: sure. I mean, he's, he, he's certainly going to be an upgrade as an offensive line coach. I'm not sure I want him as an offensive coordinator. But yeah, but I
2: don't think – would you leave uh, Alabama – because he's currently the, the Alabama offensive line coach and assistant OC. Would you leave Alabama for a lateral job just for a little bit more money? I wouldn't.
4: I mean, no. I mean, you look at that – I mean, I'm just Googling the Alabama roster now. But, you know, you look at the number of four- and five-star kids that have just come in onto that offense just the other day. Yes, in terms of there is zero percent chance. I believe in Alabama as an offensive line and also let's be honest, Alabama's offensive line this year has been gash. <laughs> there are hundred. I mean, I did I did something earlier on. They're hundred tenth or hundred twelfth in all of uh, FBS football in terms of sacks given up. Apart from Evan Neal, they've not played particularly well at all on that offensive line. Do you know what I mean? So there are certainly mm. issues there that you know would need sorting, but I I would not want to leave Alabama and go and pick up the pieces of the Miami Dolphins offensive line. No way, no how.
2: Yeah. I I was just looking at at something. At one point, the Miami Dolphins had in order Paul Boudreau, Hudson Hawk, Larry Bechtel, and Tony Weiss, four of the greatest offensive line coaches in the history of the sport, all under Jimmy Johnson. So, like, he, he moved guys around as well. But, you know, two of them were to retirement that they left you know and it's funny that they can't you know they can't fix that now but well uh, they're going to have an opportunity to all right before we pick this game i want to ask you about the national championship game uh, we wasted we essentially wasted our time for about 5 months just to get to alabama georgia simon first of all is that a problem and how would you fix it cuz i think it needs fixing cuz i was thoroughly bored by the the semifinals what are your thoughts
4: i mean i would expand it because I think you've got to give kids. You've got to give kids. I mean, look, this is a long issue. And there are, for some reason, people don't agree with me. I would cap the amount of five-star prospects that can go to a particular school mm. um, because it just becomes so unfair. You know, look every year, Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, Ohio state win the recruiting bout. I know Texas a have had a great couple of years, but you know, every year it's those four teams really, um, you know, you get a Florida state picking up a, you know a five star, and you get a you know whoever Notre Dame picking up a couple of five stars in Michigan, but but realistically, that's the way it, it's going. And what's happening is you're getting players that you know that that's part of the reason why the transfer uh, portal is is good, obviously, but it's also a reason where you get a Quinn Ewers who was the number one rated quarterback and the number one rated prospect last year who who committed early to Ohio state and is stuck behind C.J. Stroud and and the Miller kid who's transferred and you know three or four other guys, and you're just like, it just seems like ludicrous that, that teams should just be like, I went to see Trevor Lawrence play a few years ago in, in college and the, t- in high school and the, the team they were playing at Troop County was a kid called King Makuta. M- M- um, a five Yeah. he was a five-star edge rusher, like ridiculous player, hands, physical. I mean, he stood next to like the one of the wide receivers, and it was just like, you know, a giant stood next to a, you know, a, a, a small person. Um, and McRooter barely plays. Do you know what I mean? He barely plays, barely gets on the field. You know, he's stuck behind Will Anderson and, you know, a couple of other dudes. And, you know, and he's going to be a senior this year, you know, next season. It's just like, what? what's the point? Why would you get, you know, there's another kid, Kobe Hudson, a wide receiver who played in the same game, played for Troop. Uh, He's at Auburn. He's just transferring as well. But it's just like, I don't understand why you would... I understand the competitive nature of thinking you're the best. But why, especially with NIL, why would you go to Alabama beyond winning a national title? And why would you be a three-star or a four-star guy and just be prepared to sit and never get on the field for four years just to win a couple of national titles? Because that's not really competing, right? But if you expand the playoff and the playoff goes to eight games or eight teams, then at least you're giving more kids the opportunity to get to a playoff. Do you know what I mean? Because otherwise, yeah. kids are going to think, oh well. Especially with the the way that um, you know players who go to the draft then opt out, and therefore it devalues bowl games. It, it just puts so much emphasis on the on the regular season. Now I, I totally get the argument that you know regular season play, or that people, the argument of people for expanding the playoff. or well, their main objection is that it lessens the importance of regular season games because it allows teams to make, you know, early errors and losses and still make the playoffs. And obviously player health is a concern and those sorts of things, but the sport can't keep going on as it is, you know, Alabama and Ohio state. And, you know, they're, they're just eating college football from the inside out. I don't, you know, I, I just don't. I'll tell, you it what,
2: because... I'll tell you what the major problem is. I think it's the the scholarship structure. It used to be many, many, many moons ago, you made a mistake on a kid. Well, you made a mistake on the kid. Uh, He was not going to be a very good football player for you, but he was going to get a degree. Uh, Nowadays, uh, they're recruiting. They're giving out these scholarships as one-year football tryouts. And if they're not good, they just turn them over and over and over again. So they're allowed to make a mistake in recruiting every single year and fix those mistakes. And if you're Alabama, you get to fix those mistakes with another four-star athlete. You get to replace the three-star that you didn't like this past season with a four-star that comes in. It's not like it used to be where you made a mistake on a three-star guy. Well, guess what? You either roster the kid, or you just, or or you know, you just lost the scholarship. But he's gonna get a, he's gonna get a degree.
4: Did you? Uh, there's a stat I saw the other day, which is something like, in 21 of the 20, 21 of the 24 college playoff games have been won by Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson. And the two of the other three have been won by LSU. Yeah,
2: that's embarrassing.
4: But go back to like, go back to, go back to the nineties, for example, Uh, you know, go back to like 88 was won by Notre Dame, 90, 89 Miami, 90 Georgia Tech, 91 Miami and Washington, 92 Alabama, 93 Florida State, 94 Nebraska, 95 Nebraska, 96 Florida, 97 Michigan, 98 Tennessee, 99 Florida State, 2000 Oklahoma, 2001 Miami. 2002 Ohio State, 2003 LSU, 2004 USC, 2005 Texas, 2006 Florida. Do you know what I mean? Mm. There's barely a, you know. Yes, it's the same, but at least there's a there's a bigger variety of teams. Whereas you know, look at it now for the last few years. You know, last it's been Ohio State, Alabama, 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 Clemson, Alabama, Clemson, LSU, Alabama, and probably Alabama again. Like that's (laughs) not.
2: Yeah, you know, and if Georgia wins, it'll be seen as some huge upset. And you're like, wait a minute, but Georgia's been there like over and over and over again. Yeah. they just they just losing the, fact, the semifinal. The fact that Kirby
4: Smart has never beaten Alabama in a regular season, a playoff or a championship, is neither here nor there because they were the number one ranked team until, <laughs> until they got blown out in the SEC championship game. And then they blew out the number two team in the nation, Michigan. So mm. I don't
2: that know. That was my problem. My problem is that these teams that are facing, like Cincinnati look like, they, they looked hopeless against Alabama and Michigan looked completely incompetent against yeah. Georgia. Like, you know, it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't look like that. You know, I, I, it felt,
4: I felt bad for the Cincinnati players because I just didn't expect them to come out and be so, and feel like they could keep Alabama in check by playing not to lose, like play to win. You know, mm-hmm. you've got Desmond Riddy you've got Alec Pierce, you've got Jerome Ford, you've got my Sanders, you've got that great secondary play to win. They were so conservative. I just didn't – I mean, Michigan just got blown off the page. But, you know, Cincinnati played so conservatively that you just thought, open this up. You know, look at what Auburn did. You know, I, I don't know. Look what Auburn did to, to Alabama. I just – I don't know. I just – it just pissed me off, really.
2: Yeah. No, they need, they need some fixing. And with that, I guess we could close this part out. Uh, who wins on Monday? Uh, Alabama or Alabama. <laughs>
4: I'm, going to, I'm actually going to go Georgia. Oh, wow. Think,
2: so it's so a huge upset, massive upset. Okay. I don't
4: think Georgia will make the same mistakes they did in the SEC Championship game. I think that front seven is going to need to play really well. But what they're going to need to do most of all is just get Bryce Young to the ground. There's so many opportunities to sack him and tackles for loss on Brian Robinson and things. They just didn't – they missed so many tackles. They've got to start – you know, they're averaging – I think they're the number four in the nation in terms of sacks. They're averaging like five sacks a game. They've got. They didn't have a single one in the SEC title game. They've got to get Bryce Young on the ground. They've got to force third and longs. You know, no John Mechie. So obviously, other guys are going to have to step up. So big responsibility on that secondary. But there's some, I mean, there's just so many good players on that defense that you know I can't see. And also, George Pickens will be as the X factor. Mm. You know, I know he's you know slowly coming back from it from the ACL. But if you can get him one on one against Josh Job, who I really like as a corner, but struggles with big physical guys, Pickens is the most physically gifted athletic wide receiver in this draft if he enters. Um, and I think he could be an X factor if, if Stetson Bennett looks his way. So, yeah, I'm going to go Georgia in a close one, which probably means Alabama will win by 20, but...
2: Yeah, and finally, do the Dolphins save a little face here on Sunday and complete the sweep of the New England Patriots? <sighs> Cause I'm telling you one thing. I'm I'm putting a lot of I'm putting a lot on this game because if they go out and they play a good game, I don't care if they win by a field goal, but if they play a good game and beat this team on Sunday, it'll tell me a lot about this team. It'll tell me, look, they didn't quit even when they knew that they they weren't playing for anything. They wanted to, you know, they wanted to preserve a little face for their their head coach. If they go out and they play like absolute garbage, then yeah, why not fire Brian Flores cuz this team really didn't step up for him. So uh-
4: I would say there's a lot on the line. I would say if they play badly, puts the puts the coach under pressure. If the quarterback plays badly, that means he goes into the off season having four bad games to mm. finish the season. Bad against the Jets, really bad against, or mediocre against the Jets, bad against the Saints, really bad against the Titans. And if he's bad again, that's that's a real issue. I think if, the, I, I suspect they'll play well because there's nothing on the line and the Dolphins tend to do well and there's nothing to play for. Um I suspect they'll probably end up just losing just cuz the Patriots have got something to play for. They might just lose on a field goal, but I suspect it'll be a close, tight game. But if they get blown out, I think all bets are off for the offseason cuz I, you know, that that's that's ugly, I think. If, um, I completely I completely agree
2: with you. To get I think, blown out, I, I I think the, a win uh, a win, they save some face and they could at least point to those two winning records and say, "Look, you know, we're just unlucky here, unlucky there. We're going to revamp the offense and we're going to try to Get back at it. So, I
4: don't want to say right. the two are playing for their jobs, but if they get blown out, they're playing for their jobs.
2: Yeah, I tend to agree. Uh, I tend to agree big time, uh, especially to like, you know, it, those four games are going to linger. They're, it's going to linger like, like a, like a bad smell, you know? And, and after a while, you know, you walk, you walk past the bad smell in your house, like, you know, two, three times, and you're like, you know what? The third time, you're like, all right, I got to find where the hell this smell is coming from and I got to fix this. Because this, yeah. this is not going to be very good. But Perfect. All right. So when we come back from break, I'll have Chris Kaufman. But first, these words. Are you a South Florida property owner with an insurance claim? Are you dealing with water, mold, or fire damage? Looking for a reputable, fully licensed, insured, and certified contractor? Water Cleanup of Florida is here for you 24 hours a day. When a disaster strikes in your home or business, you need specialized, fast, and reliable services. Water Cleanup of Florida understands the impact and stress an unexpected disaster may cause. With over 62 years of combined experience, Michael, Robert, and Eric and their team is prepared to handle any size disaster. The guys are born and raised in South Florida, so changing the narrative on the way contractors conduct business in South Florida is extremely important to them. Their objective is to make cleanup and insurance claim process painless and hassle-free. Water Cleanup of Florida is also a licensed building contractor, so they provide the A to Z service, one stop shopping that busy homeowners and business owners require. There's no need to bring in other contractors. They will handle it all for you. Call or text them anytime at 561 408 7835 for immediate assistance. The number again, 561 408 7835. Water Cleanup of Florida. And we're back. And as promised, Chris Kaufman. Hello, Chris. Hello. Yeah, I was I was speaking to Simon. We had a spirited like first half of the show. Uh, we hit pretty much damn near everything except the, the except the game. We hit the game for about two minutes, and I guess we'll do the same at the end of our time uh, here. Yeah. Is there even a game though? Yeah, I, I think it is. And we both uh, I got Simon to agree that the game was important. Really? Yes. Okay. Think about All it. Right. Uh, if you want to start there, we'll start right there and then we'll finish up with the more important stuff. But I argued to, to to Simon, you could go from a galactic disappointment to a moderate disappointment by winning this game, because if you win this game, you are four and two in the division. You defeated the, the Patriots twice with stakes and mm-hmm. the Patriots do have stakes uh, this Sunday. They do. They do. Because if they win, they get to avoid the Bills. If they lose, they get they get to run sm- right smack dab into the Bills the following week. And let's face it, uh, they'll lose to the yeah. to the Buffalo Bills on the road. Okay, so they get to avoid the well, Bills by before, beating them. They beat the Bills on the road before, so they needed a tornado and an act of God <laughs> to beat them. Okay? Yeah, that was that was pretty ridiculous game. Yeah, if you're counting on act, acts of God to beat a team, uh, that's mm-hmm. probably a problem. You know. And especially the way the Bills played them the second time in New England, with everything on the line. And I know what you like to talk about all the time. At home, it's supposed to be a big deal, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, well, it was a big deal. New but England that was just to...
3: such a revenge game for the Bills players.
2: Yes, it was. It was everything on the line at home. Patriots at home, raucous crowd. We got them right where we want them. Thud. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and we're we're kind of used to that. So I yeah. would argue. This game on Sunday, there's a lot on the line. Brian Flores can point to a 9-8 season and say, hey, you know all the problems we got. And even with all the problems we have, that's two winning seasons in a row, one game out of the playoffs each year. And this year, we went 4-2 and two inside the division. Once we figure out Buffalo, we're golden. You lose, it's a losing season. It's two games under what you were projected to win by Vegas and it's an absolute disaster, really, uh, every which way. There's no way you could redeem the season. There's nothing redeemable about it. So I think a lot is on the line, especially for the quarterback. Like, you think Tua wants to go into the offseason with four bad games in a row? I, I don't know. I, I think there's some stakes uh, this Sunday. I don't know what, what you think.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think there's I, – I, more so, I think, some some players have some personal stakes. Um but that's what it's going to boil down to is how many players feel that they have a personal stake in this. And, you know, when things started to go against the Tennessee Titans, I felt like players just kind of, you know, somewhere between gave up and total loss of composure and, you know, let go of the rope. (laughs) Yeah, they basically did. And, um, and so, you know, you you have to convince them that they're to go ahead and, and go, go back all in for this game in a game that, you know, a lot of teams start to rest guys who aren't going to be, you know, veterans and stuff like that, who um, you, you don't need to risk injury or something like that. You know, how many how many guys like, you know, like Xavier and Howard, he's going to make some business decisions, you know? Um, he has. He probably has been all season, but, I mean, he, you know, some of those guys are going to be make some, making some business decisions Well, he's a,
2: I think he gets a quarter million. Starts and finishes his game.
3: <laughs> well, d- well, wait. So if he starts and finishes the game, he gets a quarter million.
2: I think so. Cause I think it, I, he meets what his kind of uh, incentive. Particip- is that it's a participation incentive that he has. Does he have that every single game? I think it's every single game, but I think he gets a bonus if he completes a certain amount of games. And I think he hit that bonus this year. Cause I think he's played at least 14 games this year. Right.
3: Uh, yeah. 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 He's, he's, he's done well. He stayed healthy. Um, so you know who also I, has that? I'd, have, I'd have to check that because that what well, but i mean if he's if he's got incentive to be out there then he's going to be out there but uh but is he going to make some business decisions and his tackling and stuff like that he has this year anyway but mm-hmm. you wonder if some other guys might and um some other guys though are playing to either be here or still be starters you know so they're they're definitely going to be jazzed up. I think Tua is got his back against the wall again, and so he's going to be he's going to be looking to stay focused out there. Um, but I, I just wonder who else, uh, what other guys are going to do that. Um, we'll see. It, it is. It is a good team, and New England's coming into the Dolphin Stadium to try and play a good team. And so, yes, I, I do believe the Dolphins uh, have more chance of winning than not, although Vegas disagrees. But um, mm.
2: yeah, yeah, Vegas so basic we'll is Vegas is basically saying that the Dolphins are going to pack it in. Like,
3: well, that's what you—that's really what you got to watch on. and yeah. and. All other things being equal, if, if that wasn't a danger, you know that that players are going to pack it in and you know what, whatever. Then I would say that this is a victory. This is this is a good team in their home stadium, and the New England Patriots are traveling and you know et cetera. But um, who's going to give up? Uh, and I hope nobody does. So, but um, but you, you kind of wonder if somebody might.
2: Yeah, the best case scenario is that they play very, very well, and, and Tua actually leads them to a win. And that'll be four out of the last five against the Patriots, and Tua beating Belichick three times in a row. That's you know that's something to point to, especially for the offseason. Speaking of that offseason, uh, I spoke to, to Simon, and I gave him a few examples, and he, he kind of agreed. The, the thing is that we couldn't agree on who the hell is out there to take this role. But I argue that this team has to be segmented, and it's going to have to be this way. It's going to have to be – Stephen Ross is going to have to sit down with Brian Flores and tell him, look, the whistle's still yours. You still get to call the timeouts. You still get to you know, run strategy in the last two minutes, although, uh, to be honest with you, uh, better, better coaches than you named Andy Reid have had people do some of their, their time and clock management for them. So you can still run practices. You call all the timeouts. You're the head coach. You got the title. You run the defense. But we're going to get somebody with some gravitas to run the offensive side of the ball on this on this team. Uh, we, couldn't, uh, we couldn't think of anybody, okay, that's out there besides the obvious name, you know, Jim Caldwell, who is now interviewing for the Jaguars. job. Was the obvious name? I didn't think that was the obvious name. Uh, who do you think is the obvious name? Because I, I said Joe Brady and – and um, and Simon said, "Let's be honest. What has he done in the pros except get into uh, an issue with Matt Rule and get himself fired? I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm out Matt of ideas. Rule, Do you know anybody? Any I, recommendations? I, I
3: think I think the most obvious name is Joe Brady um, for the for the Dolphins. He's he's in Miami. He's probably sitting at home in Miami, and he's he's looking to he's he has not taken a college uh, job because he thinks he's got." Pro prospects, and he thinks he can he can cut it there, and I I, I think he's probably right. Um, I don't, you know, whoa, S- Sam Darnold is, is is a shitty quarterback in 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 Carolina, and it's not like it's not like they've gotten better since they dismissed Brady. He got himself fired, but that's Matt Rule is sort of on on the hot seat himself right now. And you know he's he's really turned some people off over there, and um,
2: especially with his seven-year press conference bit. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, uh,
3: I didn't. Obviously, I didn't watch it, but um, but yeah, I I think that uh, the the offense did not get better with some, you know, somebody else. I mean, they scored what, they had a six-point outing against the Bucks, a 10-point outing against the Saints, and a 14-point outing against the Bills, um, 21 points against the uh, against the, the Falcons, I guess. But, um, you know, it hasn't been better. So it's, it's like scoring 13 points in the game ain't going to cut it. You know, meanwhile, back when Joe Brady was calling games, you know, yeah, they did score 26 against the Saints or 24, 28, 28, 34 points. You know, twenty-one points. So, um, so the, yeah, they had a they had a few, a few bad ones uh, like against the Dolphins. But I'm um, again, quarterback situation there, kind of tough. So, um, and what was striking to me when, again in the Dolphins game actually was that you know uh, Cam Newton wasn't getting the job done. It was clear that he was over the hill. But then they were like, okay, so I guess we'll put in PJ Walker, and like <laughs> PJ Walker was worse. You know, yeah, and and PJ Walker, you know, what is that? What is, what is that? Well, that's, that's a guy that Matt rule coached and um, back in college. And that's the, that's the reason he's there. And, you know, I think I thought he was a talented college player and all, but, um, but that's the reason he's there. And it kind of shows, you know, it shows, it shows what Matt rule is as a head coach. He's an offensive guy. He butted heads with the, with his offensive coordinator um and then dismissed him you know um I I don't think I I think you'd you'd be a good candidate to be down in Miami um I think that there's a strong chance that Miami sort of well let I wouldn't be surprised if Charlie Fry is not here next year um I think even if they stick with Tua they're going to they might start to like kick out the um the the trent bilfer to a you know rpo influences of the um uh, some of those of the offenses of the offense and um and and start to start to move in another direction but um that doesn't necessarily mean Tua will be gone but it, it some some something tells me that, that that could happen, but uh Joe Brady um would be a good fit, I think.
2: And you don't have any other ideas? And because uh, I guess we settled on Jim Caldwell because he has the gravitas, right? Uh, but... <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was a good one. I'm gonna, I'm gonna isolate that sound. <laughs> um,
3: I I don't I don't know I don't know that I see it. Um, I think that they need they need a cohesive system. You know that incorporates that incorporates offensive line play. Um, you know the with the right kinds of offensive line players, and um, they need to get away from their their type with the offensive line. I think they need to move more toward like what San Francisco has. With Jimmy Garoppolo, who's also a winning quarterback, just as Tua is a winning quarterback, but it, but I think that system fits him better, and I think it would probably fit Tua better as well. Um, so you know, I, I don't know who's who necessarily is available in that regard, but um, but I wouldn't be surprised if they moved that. You know, some a name that that I kicked around, and I don't think it's actually going to happen. But I mean, what if? See the, the way Steve Ross does this. Brian Flores isn't going to let Steve Ross hire him a, an offensive coordinator. It's not going to happen. Steve Ross walk, walks in that office and, and he's like, you know, hey, we're, we're, we're firing your offensive coordinator. We need you to go along with this. We're going to hire a guy um, and it's going to be a guy that we want. Brian Flores is going to say, fuck you. And he's and, you know, fire me you know that's he's gonna um that that's the the scenario i laid out on twitter before i said there's very small chance that brian flores uh leaves miami this offseason but in the event that he does it will probably be because ownership has some ideas and thoughts about what to do and you know in response to the season and um and brian flores digs in his heels and and says you know no this is this is my team i i I decide what we do, and um, and then you have the the unstoppable force versus immovable object uh, situation, and that just results in a mutual parting of ways. If if he goes, if Steve Ross goes in there, like you know, hey, uh, we're going to hire Jim Caldwell to be your be the offensive coach. It's not going to work. It's, it's no. I don't, first off, that didn't work already. You know. That tried that and and jim caldwell went running away um and for whatever reason and we don't know that reason but whatever um not going to happen so i think i think steve ross's style is actually to attack it from a different direction is, is going to be he's going to attack it from the organizational standpoint and from an organizational standpoint, you know, he could, he could try and put somebody above Chris Greer um, that really sort of uh, forces his, his own hand, Partic- and, and it might be with the particular idea being um, we need somebody that, that knows what they're, they're doing for getting offensive linemen and, um, and, and, forming a cohesive offense you know and um i wouldn't be surprised uh if that's that's more the direction that they go uh from the front office standpoint and then it'll be up to you know it'll be up to it'll still be up to the coach to brian flores to hire an assistant coach um you know that's the. it'd be an interesting, it'd be an interesting thing if they did that. And when a name that I would bat around that Steve Ross is actually, you know, he's talked to in the past is Mike Shanahan. Hmm. And, um, and, you know, when you, when you bring in Mike Shanahan, what you immediately get access to is that entire, that entire tree of offensive coordinators and coaches and um, assistant coaches all over the place um, that are, that, that go and, you know that all all run related systems and all kind of I mean it seems it seems they're all so it seems kind of tight knit. Um and and you could you could start to bring him in or bring in some of those guys to run the sort of system that you've got in San Francisco with Jimmy Garoppolo. Um but, but you can do it for two atonabolo.
2: Mm-hmm. Now one thing uh I didn't touch on this with Simon but it's been I've spoken about it on on OnlyFans. If let's just say for argument's sake that this show was called four yards per carry and Steven Ross was our fourth co-host. Do you think uh, we can have an influence on him? Like if we were telling him what he should do with this team, do you think we would have an influence on him? A uh, brief answer. Yeah, I think so. Okay. He has, and I've spoken this on, on, on only fence. He has, um, Actually, one of our members on OnlyFans changed his name to a gaggle of wise men. And I think it's the most most interesting and and best. It's the best name, best member name, username on OnlyFans. And that's exactly what he has. There's a bunch of Dolphin alumni that hang in and around the stadium, uh, in and around the facility, are either employees of the Dolphins or employees of the stadium. And they're there with Steven Ross all the time when he's around the team. Do you think that they're pushing this one way or the other? Because you kind of know where all of them kind of stand at this point on tour. Mm -hmm. So do you think that they'll have some type of influence on him?
3: Um yeah, I, I think I think I think Steve, I think a lot of people have a lot of influence on Steve Ross. The problem is that I don't really necessarily agree with all these people that run around thinking that Steve Ross is all over the place, like firing off bullets everywhere saying, we need to do this, we need to do that, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to, you know, I I don't think I don't think Steve Ross really imposes himself that that much um, on the football side of things. Uh, and, and so, you know, yeah, he's got influences and, and, you know, that, that will indirectly influence things like, um, you know, how he's thinking about whether something was a mistake or not. He's going to call somebody in the office to, to ask them about it, you know, that sort of stuff, but I I don't think he goes in and, you know, well, um, you know, we've, we're all saying, you know, uh, us being all the guys that are around Steve Ross, we're all saying that this, and, and so we've got Steve on our side. And so Steve is gonna, Steve is going to go out there and, and say, okay, well we need to, we need to fire these guys, these coaches and bring in, you know, so-and-so, you know, it's, it's, I don't think it works that way. I really don't. I, I think that that's, um, that is severely overstated by, um, by fans who sort of, you know, fan because we don't we don't know the inner workings like we're not we're not really privy to it. So we just all use our imaginations and our imaginations are usually much more creative than real life. And um and so I think that uh I think that it's probably just a, a great big lie when we think about Steve Ross doing all these things.
2: Now, Steve Ross, uh, I kind of, you know, I have a little insight into his business. He's a developer. He's a real estate developer. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the way usually developers, you know, get on in the world is they know who's lied to them and who sold them a bill of goods. And usually they don't do business with those people ever again. And they usually only do business with the people that have produced for them and have consistently, yeah, consistently produced, in other words, people that haven't uh, BS'd them. Okay. Because uh, the, the, real estate development business it's it's about it's full of about 50 percent hucksters and con artists people lying to just get a deal done and make their their nut. and then you have the other half to actually give a crap about their 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 craft and personally i have a, i have some wealthy clients and i i live by the by the saying you know you could Shear a sheep many times, but you can skin them only once. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm not. I, I've had many opportunities to really, absolutely bone one of my wealthy clients, but I won't do it because I want that guy coming back to me over and over and over and over again till he or I die. You understand what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Yeah. So who do you think? Because I, I think that Stephen Ross is going to look at it th- at at it this way, and I'm beginning to lean one way or the other. Who do you think he's going to look at come Monday and say, let's say they win. Okay. And they win. So there's a general, you know, a general minor disappointment and maybe a good feeling for a day on the team, but you know, there's still some disappointment. They're not in the playoffs. Who do you think he's going to look at and say, okay, uh, you are not, you know, you are not producing for me here. And I think you might have to go. Who do you think he's going to look at like that in the organization? Because I, I, I can't help, but think he's going to look at Chris Greer. He's going to say come Monday, how about a promotion far away from any authority?
3: No, I, well, who knows what he does with respect to Chris Greer. It just doesn't. I mean, the guy, the guy doesn't. So first off, I don't think that he's, I don't think that he's necessarily soured on either the, either Chris Greer or Brian Flores to that degree. Um, And so I would be, you know, surprised if, um, if he, if, if there's something like that in the offing, um, a little bit, it doesn't seem like how he works, you know? Um, it, it it seems like you know what he will do is it'll bring it's, it's more about who he brings in. It's not, and it's less about it's, it's less about who gets dismissed or fired and stuff like that. It's more about who he brings in and he, I, I'm eager to see if he brings somebody in Um, and, and then, uh, and then we'll see what happens after that. And somebody brings, gets brought in and then it's like, you know, somebody else eventually phases out and, and goes, goes off within a couple of years. Um. I don't think he's going to do that with Chris Greer. Uh, I think, I don't think he's going to do that with Brian Flores. And so I, I don't think he's going to look at anybody in the Dolphins uh, organization right now and be like, you know, you're bullshit. Um, but he, he might turn to somebody that, you know, he comes, he has come to trust uh, over the years and I don't know you know who you know whose name i had um put to me by uh, somebody on the inside um is donna ponte hmm. and uh the thing is like i know that she's she's very administrative in football she's um you know she's she's was a cap person and finance and stuff like that but um I don't know. Uh, there she's she's very close to Steve Ross. I mean, she's she's worked at RSE Ventures. Um yeah, well, I don't know. I maybe maybe keep an eye on that. But I uh, I think somebody somebody that's somebody that has Ross's ear is probably not going to be Tannenbaum again, but uh, somebody that has Ross's ear is going to end up placed somewhere in there. And that's that's what I would look for.
2: All right. Well, they, they play a game on on Sunday, but before we get to that one, Monday it's Alabama, Georgia. Any opinion on the game? None. None.
3: Yeah, I was, they, uh, I really, uh, I really don't care.
2: Simon and I were trying to fix college football, and, and we decided on a couple of <laughs> a couple of things. He wants to put restrictions on recruiting, and I want I want to change the entire structure of the scholarship system because, uh, in my opinion, what these teams are doing is like you make a mistake on a, on a three-star recruit. You just replace them the following year with a four-star recruit. Okay. If you're Alabama, yeah. you know, I think you should pay for your mistakes and you should pay for those educations that you're handing out. Like if you give a three-year scholarship, if the if the player maintains his C average or whatever he has to keep, to, to keep the scholarship, guess what? You're on the hook for those three years that you give the scholarship for. And you're going to see a little bit more parity in college football because then when Alabama misses, they can't just dump that guy on the street and go replace him with a four-star recruit. Mm. You know, that, I have a pretty good idea, huh? That's a pretty good idea.
3: Uh, I, I don't know. I haven't thought it through. I don't know if it work, would work or not. I mean, I don't think you're going to try. I mean, you, in order to make something like that work, you have to address the transfer portal. Yes, you do. So what are they going to do there? You know, and um, yeah, then you you
2: cause, can cause a mess in the transfer portal. Everybody goes to Alabama. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, clear.
3: so, I mean, in order to close up those system, then you, you've got to tackle the transport transfer portal. Um, so who knows? I, I think they just kick the can. That's what they do.
2: <laughs> yeah. They'll probably kick the can, but the sport is broken. The sport is broken and getting less. And, and I, I love college football. I watch it for the prospects. Now I used to watch it to enjoy the games. I don't anymore. Yeah, that's, that's
3: that's that is the truth. I I do not. I have not in a little while watched college football just to enjoy the games. Mm-hmm.
2: Like this coming I'm year, you know, Mario Chris falls at the U. So I'll be I'll be kind of excited for an ACC title shot. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I understand they have no shot if they win the ACC against any of these big wigs from the SEC, namely just two schools, and namely Ohio State. It's like three schools that run the entire sport. Yeah. You know, it's it's Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State and occasionally well, it used Clemson. to be Clemson, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Clemson lost the quarterback and then uh, they missed on the other quarterback. And now, mm. you know, although double, you never know, double double will find something to find a quarterback eventually. But yeah, you know, the sport's absolutely broken. It's uh, and I don't see how it gets any better. All right. This game on Sunday, they save face or we go from disappointment to real disappointment
3: god it's really it's really just hard to to tell where their mindset is at i wish i i wish i because you know all, well if well if maybe pressors, maybe what i'll say, if their what I'll are say is, any,
2: hold on a second if their pressures are any indication their mindset is suicidal right now i don't know if you've seen them yeah i mean this that is, makes this is not that a definitely
3: group. that definitely that definitely makes me say you know that vegas is right for favoring new england here if they, if they were getting up to play, all things being equal, I have Miami in this game. You know, they're at home. This is a Patriots, um, you know, matchup. But right now, a couple of things that they were already facing that were going to be tough is, one, you know, Patriots already play well in the, the, down the stretch. We know that. Um, two, this is the second opponent that will have – That will be playing Tua. That will have already played him, and the first opponent that um, that that did that, the Jets, they definitely had a beat on what he wanted to do, like and and out there, and it it definitely rattled him. And uh, people said it was you know I think Jalen Waddle was out or something, and so maybe that's what rattled him. But I think that I think that had a lot to do with the players on the field having already felt what it's like to play against Tua and having, you know, kind of, kind of figured some things out about where, where he, because Tua figures out where he wants to go with the football before he may not go. It doesn't mean it's his quote unquote first read. Um, But he, he knows a lot of the time before the play starts where he wants to ultimately go with the football. And a lot of people say that's, that's his problem. But frankly, I mean, I've heard Tom Brady say that 85% of the time he knows exactly who's going to get the football before the snap is before the snap comes off. And um, and so I think that you know, a lot of what you see like going from one read to another is based, is sort of like box checking and and also keeping the defense honest with your with your face fundamentals and and using your eyes to manipulate things. Um, and Tua does that a lot. Uh, he does it really well. Um, but uh, he knows where he he knows where he wants to go pre snap. The problem is when a team like um, the Jets face him a second ta- time, they're like they started to figure out where he, where he would want to go before the snap, and um, and I think that that threw him off. And the Patriots are seeing him for a second time, so maybe they can do that too. And uh, and some individual players could you know how Xavier Howard kind of baits people. Um, you know, this is this is just a smart player being a smart player. Well, there's there's smart players on the Patriots defense, and uh, you wonder if second time they see him, they're they're going to figure out how to bait him or how to um, how to throw him off his game. And so they're, they were already going to face that. That was already going to be difficult. But I figured they were going to be at home. They got a defense that's playing really. They uh, prior to the Titans game, they had been playing phenomenal football. Um, you know, so so I thought, okay, they'll edge him out. But if their if their attitude if their if their mental you know um, well being is in the trash right now, then forget about it. I mean, it's it's it might not even be competitive. I mean, it, it reminds me. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it could be like the last game. It could be like the last game of uh, last year.
2: Yeah, that's that that's something. Because last, last year they had everything to play for, and then it started snowballing yeah. early yeah. in the third quarter, late in the second quarter. Yep. You know, uh this year, those press conferences for it started with 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 uh with Flo. Uh Brian Flores looked absolutely despondent. And then Tua, like Jesus Christ. Like some of some of these guys need a little bit of media training. Like Tua looked like I don't know if you saw, did you see his press conference?
3: No, nah, I didn't see it, yeah.
2: Well, I was—I mean, I was, was
3: going to try to—I was trying to watch it like right before the uh, podcast, right before <laughs> we uh, we recorded.
2: Yeah, everybody's making memes of his faces because come on, all his faces, all the faces he kept making were ridiculous. You know, I did talk about this before the the Simon uh, before before with Simon um, the middle Jean Pierre uh, press conference this last week was disgraceful. So, did did see some of that? So, like, he should be fired just for that. Like I understand that you, you you know you don't give a crap about the, the media, but you know like that was that was completely unnecessary. Okay? You know,
3: I was I was more um, disturbed. I don't I honestly don't really give a shit what he does um, with when he meets with the media. I I give a shit what he looks like when he's when he's out on the field coaching the players. And um, I remember seeing some footage of him, you know, coaching people at the Senior Bowl. And I just didn't, I just didn't really like, I didn't, I, I didn't necessarily like what I saw. I didn't think that he was connecting with anybody that, you know, that he was, that he's imparting. It didn't look like he was imparting a lot of wisdom and, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, it just, yeah, I, I, it was kind of a little bit of a, f- a flag for me when I, when I saw that and I was like, like, okay, um, what's this going to be like? And and then we saw how the season played out and we see him, we see him speak and I don't really care what, you know, what he says to the press, but, um, but I do care if what he says to the press and like the fact that he can't find answers and stuff like that, I, I care. But if that's, if that's something that you see on the field, when he's coaching, um, on the practice field when he's coaching and with his guys and, um, I, yeah, I they're probably, let's face it, they probably are going to move in a different direction there. If anything, if anything is going to be scapegoated in for this season aside from Tuatunga Valoa, it's going to be the offensive line. And he's in charge of the off- offensive line. It was a risk to go with him because of his lack of experience. Um, they're going to, they're going to close that. They're going to close up that risk. That's, that's not going to happen anymore.
2: All right. Well. Uh that's it. There is no more. The next time we talk to you, we're gonna be talking to you once a week because uh unfortunately, uh, they're not in the playoffs, so no more two a weeks until sometime in March when it's free agency time. We'll get back to two a week then. But for now it's gonna be one a week. I don't think we're gonna be on on Monday because Monday will be Black Monday, people will be getting fired. Dolphins might be firing people. So I guess we'll talk to you again on Tuesday where we'll, we'll basically put a bowl on the 2021 season disappointment or not. It's at least a disappointment. It could be a terrible disappointment if they get absolutely killed on Sunday. I have no way. I, you know, I don't know which way this thing can go uh, on Sunday. I love to see them win, and I'll be rooting hard for them. But all right, that's it. There is no more. We will talk to you again next week.
3: Thanks for listening to Three Yards Per Caddy. You can subscribe via iTunes, on Podbean, or your usual podcast provider.